Hey everyone, Nick Kershaw here, and welcome to a special series of The Sprint, 14 Days of Heartbeats and Footprints. Now, it'll come as no surprise that we, alongside so many organizations and individual bedroom warriors, jumped right into producing podcasts through the dark days of lockdown, only to abruptly halt production as life became busier and meeting people became more fun again. We were no different. But I regularly look back at our numbers and think, why did we stop? We quickly leapt from 50 listeners in our first week to over 1,000 listeners by our final two episodes. For a 10-episode series starting from scratch, I was really thrilled at that. Now, lots of elements got in the way. We were back out at events, training up new teams in each country, and then the busy road outside my little home office always made cleaning up the audio a tiresome task. Now, in the past week, I've moved to a far more secluded office deep in the heart of Pembrokeshire National Park on the southwest coast of Wales. Nothing but the sound of the sheep that live in the paddock and the birds that congregate on a little terrace and sometimes fly into the window if you hear a thud. Uh, since I, <laughs> I took up the habit of feeding them, which created a monster. Um, that's a story for another day. Um, rather than jump headlong into long-form interviews that will be on the way in the new year, I thought it best to harness the stories that I have at my disposal each and every day, share them, build on them, and harness them for insight into current events in all of our locations, whilst also sharing some of the challenges we face and successes enjoyed since uh, we began building an organisation that was created to be deeply impactful in the world. Now, along the way, this special series will offer practical ways to make a positive impact in the world, offer you inspiration at a time of significant upheaval globally, and share stories from places and countries that don't make the headlines in the English-speaking media. Most episodes will be recorded here in our cottage, but may contain more windy clips for those ideas that appear whilst enjoying the free-thinking magic of a run or some sound bites and interviews from the team around the world. They'll be no more than 12 minutes long, and we aim to give you that shot of energy that I hope you genuinely benefit from each day. So over the next 10 days, we're going to journey deep into the heart of Impact Marathons, discuss our vision, our impact, and why we are so incredibly passionate about what we do. So let's start from the very beginning, summer of 2014. Here we go. My goal has never been to be a race director or organize travel events. It's just that I've been doing it for nine years. In the summer of 2014, I was working in finance and living in London. At that time, my life was a busy blend of office life, the hectic social calendar of a 20-something in London, and training. At the time, I was training for Ironman Wales. It's a pretty all-consuming time in my life. and In amongst that, I had begun supporting more projects out in Uganda. And although I was doing the Ironman event purely for self-indulgent reasons, my colleagues were always asking if they could donate to support my efforts. This may seem strange now, looking back, but I truthfully hadn't signed up to do the Ironman to fundraise. I was already maxed out on my capacity. If I was to take on anything more, I was really strong on the fact that it needed to be something I truly cared about and something I could smash out of the park. I dropped a quick note one evening to the project leaders in Uganda that simply read, if I raised £3,000, what would you do with it? What is the project that you would never normally get funding for that we could support? A dream idea, maybe. Three days later, I received a very detailed and fully budgeted plan. I felt compelled to move this into action and see what I could do. 
with a group of friends, we uh, put together uh, a load of the most awesome adventurers uh, that lived in London at the time, got a local brewery on board, and did a beer tasting evening full of talks from amazing adventures from across the world. We hosted it in an empty office space on the first floor of the building in which I worked. I kid you not. It was this <laughs> giant space with no desks, a beaten up ceiling, carpet missing, pieces of the ceiling missing, but it had electricity. And my bosses were super cool with me going for it. So we dressed it up, sent out some invites to anyone and everyone, and then had that horrible feeling, horrible feeling that anyone who's organized an event knows all too well. You just have to wait, get the responses and hope on the night the people who said they were turning up would actually turn up. That night was standing room only, partly because we had no chairs and partly because everyone showed up and more. People I hadn't seen in years, people who had not responded to the invite, people who came out of the woodwork from all sorts of different places in all our lives. And there it was, this huge event with amazing beer, great speakers, and a great big crowd for us to, to share our vision. The talks began um, and through the night, got more and more <laughs> outrageous to the point where I was then having to stand up and talk about charity and donations and giving money and supporting awesome projects, which is always a bit intimidating when you've been listening to amazing adventurers tell people about all the great things that they've been getting up to. And now it's your turn to say, and hey, these guys have all come to support this fundraiser. It's quite a difficult talk, but um, I love speaking and um, I went for it. But as I looked out, I kind of had this moment where I thought about all of the London fundraisers that I've been to, great drinks, entertainment, and as I was looking around, I realized that most of the people would do what I'd done in these types of fundraisers before and forget what I was saying over the next few days and months. And I wanted to shock that out of people. I wanted to connect them with the impact they were having just by being there, let alone the donation, and the impact that they can have every single day of their lives if they want to. And life can be like that. When you live in the busy London life, especially tube, office, run, sleep, tube, office, run, sleep. At that moment, organizations uh, such as Escape the City were blowing up. The quarter-life crisis was a phrase I'd heard in all too many conversations and supporting amazing organizations, engaging in your ability to make the world a better place in all manner of ways is such a powerful way to change the way that people perceive ourselves and our lives. So I threw out a curveball. Don't just donate tonight and put your credit card away and let that be the end of the story. In two days' time, you will forget what you did and why you did it. Come to Uganda, visit the project, see the impact. And when you do, we're going to run a marathon. It was a joke. I didn't mean to say it. In fact, I'd forgotten I'd said it. At the end, people came up and said, hey, what's the marathon idea? There was no marathon idea. And yet six weeks later, at the strange underground room at the Embassy of Uganda on Trafalgar Square in London, we launched Uganda Marathon. We didn't know what we were doing, nor did we know the journey it would take us on. But we knew we had awakened a special idea where our running could have a direct impact in the communities where we run, where our travel could have a bigger purpose than simply tick off boxes or indulge ourselves. And our fundraising could make a tangible impact, one that we got to see and understand, share with our networks share with the people we cared about and that 
people who wanted to run a race like that would be seriously amazing humans. Over the next nine months, we had to build a race from absolutely nowhere to somewhere amazing. The seed we planted and nurtured in that period has been growing now for nine more years and has spread to blossom from Guatemala to Nepal, from Rwanda to the Isle of Mull. Those nine months built the concept of impact marathons. It was clear to me that we could create something so powerful in the community of Masaka, Uganda. Why couldn't we replicate that across the world? Why couldn't we do something genuinely unique that would create an impact for so many more people, touch more lives, and be a sustainable way to support grassroots charities? It was simple, and I had to do it. Of course, the story was not that simple. By the time our race took place in Uganda, May 2015, we'd all left our jobs, or at least were serving notice periods to pursue a life with greater impact, more variety, and more experiences. Each of us had made the decision for different reasons, and with different dreams, and with different goals. We, as a team that started out as the closest of friends, lifetime friends, were pushed to the limit, and the strain tore us apart. By the time I woke up on the 1st of September 2015, I was starting the big dream of Impact Marathon from zero, with one man stood beside me, Matt Fenton. And he remains an integral element of all that we're doing up to this day. During the ups and downs of 2015, he relentlessly encouraged and educated me on how to create a model that could be successful. We spent hours and hours pouring beers and pouring out ideas. By the end, we had our first countries lined up, flights booked, and first grants on the way, and an organization registered. Impact Marathon Series. So it's September 2015. I've got two weeks left in London and my next stop is Kathmandu. 